Hello, this is Father Kelly. Welcome to a podcast that now has a different name than it did seven months ago when I last recorded something. I'll explain that part later. But it is good to try this thing again, this type of thing again. Um, not that I haven't had ideas in the meantime, but um, you know, as things have gone on to things, uh, really what it is is that after the initial energy of COVID starting in the lockdown and then as we began to come out of it or at least began to get used to it, uh, the motivation to do this kind of went away. The, the sense of urgency went away uh, as we all kind of got used to it. I didn't think it had been seven months, honestly, uh, but then when I was uh, dusting out somewhat literally the equipment, no, literally dusting out the equipment, it had been in a box at a seminarian this summer, uh, shout out to John Grimm, and so I had moved the things that the recording equipment, because they were technically in the guest room, I had moved them before he came, which meant, and I hadn't used them since, which meant the last recording was before the seminarian was here for the summer, which was quite a while ago. Uh, I still, I knew it was a while. I didn't, I didn't, until I began opening file folders to, to, you know, look for where I was going to record things and that sort of stuff. I realized, oh, the last file was, as it kindly told me on um, SoundCloud, seven months ago. So it's been quite a ways. And that's okay. Not like nothing has been happening around here. Uh, maybe it was better. I mean, I knew from the beginning that I wasn't going to keep up with uh, the regularity of, I posted five or six or seven, maybe even, uh, episodes that were related to the beginning of quarantine. But it's time around for that again. The, uh, the motivation now uh, is the election, well, I began having these thoughts that I'm about to share uh, before the election, but they, you know, maybe finalize in, in the in the time after the election. Now, this is not going to be a political commentary. I'm not going to be, pardon me, referencing particular candidates or policies or things like that. Not that kind of episode. That's not that's not my strength. That's not my skill. I'm not going to try and do that. It would just go sideways and would make a mess of things. Not going to do that. But I do want to talk about something that is on my mind related to that. And it's the need for stability, both in our country and in our church. I don't know what is going to happen with our country. I'm recording this post-election, so there's some idea there. But I'm not even really talking about a particular four years. I just mean the future in general. I don't know what's going to happen. In a lot of ways, I'm not optimistic. Um, again, not because of a particular uh, person or policy, but we seem to be heading for uh, more and more swings back and forth, uh, deepening divisions instead of healing them. And I don't know politics, and so I'm not going to try and uh, analyze that from a political standpoint. I'm not going to try and uh, propose policy solutions to those sorts of things. I'm not going to uh, comment on really even what, you know, church-state relations should be like. Those things are above my academic preparation. Not my pay grade, I suppose, but it's just not not the way I think and not the, the um, not what I find is the most helpful thing to discuss about. There are other people, other priests even, uh, who are more qualified. Listen to them on those particular kinds of things. But there is something that I that I do feel comfortable speaking on, and that is the church, 
but the church in a particular way. This I know. The stability and robustness of the church is good for its members and good for the society in which it resides. When everything else is in chaos, the Catholic Church will be steady, and that helps everyone. This isn't the same church, the same context, the same church, not the same context in which St. Justin Martyr was writing. Uh, he's uh, from the very early church, in the, in the, basically the first century after Christ. Uh, but the principles are the same. And what Justin Martyr's principle that he, that he shared in his writing is that Christians, when they are good ones, are a blessing for society, even if that society does not share their faith. And this I would like to promote. Not just the idea, not just to, to talk about, well, Christians are good for society, because anybody can say that. But I want to promote the reality. If Christians live their faith well, the result will be obvious and no argument need be, need be made. If we live the Christian life well, not, not in word but in deed, if we actually live out the gospel as we're supposed to, then it will sort of become automatically obvious uh, that things go better when we do our part right. So that's what I want to promote. And specifically, uh, the stability and unity of the church and the Catholic faith shown in its members for their own good and the good of society. This, this line of thought uh, began with uh, last Sunday. So we had the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time, but this was uh, sort of this line that I'm about to give began with the 32nd Sunday of Ordinary Time. So eight days ago now, um, well, technically nine days ago now. And uh, it's one of those things where, by the grace of God, things line up very well. Um, I say this in, in homilies at Daily Mass all the time. You know, maybe we have a particular saint on that day, and there might be readings for that saint, but you don't have to use them. You can just use the readings for the day. But very often, the, the readings for just, say, you know, Tuesday of the 20th week of ordinary time line up really well for the saint that's on that day, even if they're not, quote, the readings for that saint. And so that's I think, very much an action of the Holy Spirit. And so this, this past week, when I was having this idea about the importance and the benefit of unity and stability of the church for its members and then for everybody else as well, we got a whole series of either bits of prayers or quotes from scripture or, in most cases, the the day that's being celebrated literally. And it just lined up day after day. Every day I would think, wow, that was great. But the next day, boom, one more thing. The next day, boom, one more thing. And it just kept, uh, kept going for five or six days. So I wanted to share that with you. And it just this constant affirmation of this idea of unity and stability and the importance that is for the church and for the whole world. The very first one was on Saturday evening prayer. The antiphon was pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now this antiphon is one that's, you know, it's from scripture, of course, it's from the Psalms. And so it's referencing in sort of the primary sense, it's referencing the experience of the Jews in their time of, you know, their their home area of Jerusalem. If Jerusalem is at peace, things are going well. So you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and that is good for everybody. If Jerusalem is doing well, then the whole society is doing well. So uh, the prayer, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, 
when we pray it, has a similar kind of meaning. Now, obviously, uh, Jerusalem itself, the city in Israel, in the Middle East, is not my primary concern as a priest in Oklahoma. Now, I do hope for the peace of Jerusalem. Right? I do pray, for another context, for the peace of Jerusalem, for sure. I hope there is peace there. But Jerusalem is more than just that geographical place on a map. You know, it's more than what Google Maps shows you when you look for Jerusalem. It's a symbol, of course, like most things in scripture. Well, it, it represents what it really talks about, but then also is a symbol. In this case, it represents our longing for the good of society. Now, the heavenly Jerusalem is already at peace, but our worldly Jerusalem is not. We want, wherever we are, our country, our state, our city, our town, our family, to be at peace. And the first work is to pray for peace. But not just the action. We have to actually want peace. We have to genuinely desire it. To say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, or I wish my country were more at peace, or you know, I wish my family were more at peace, but then not do anything about that, or, or in fact, you know, stir the pot and you know, make it worse, uh, that's not really, you're not really praying for the peace of Jerusalem if in fact you're countering that peace. But this isn't pacifism. This is love. Until we genuinely wish the good of our neighbor and care for them, which is different than wanting to prove them wrong, or, you know, sort of patting our ego. Until then, we will not have peace. We will only have deepening tension. Now then, continuing on the collect for Mass of the same Sunday. So that was um, evening prayer one, so Saturday night evening prayer of that 32nd Sunday. And then Mass uh, the next day, the collect for Sunday Mass, prays for peace in our hearts. And this is a peace that, not, that only comes from Christ, not the victory of any particular ideology, no particular politician or political party. It is the victory of Christ that really brings peace in our hearts. Christ is a wisdom and a power that transcends all of that political stuff. Now, that doesn't mean we're, that we absent ourselves from politics and necessary moral critique, but it means that we are not consumed by it. In Christ and the unity of the church, we have a stability and a foundation which is deeper than any kind of politics or sports or, or whatever else might be out there. The peace in our hearts, real authentic peace, especially peace that's not, that's not based on you know, putting somebody else down, which that's not real peace anyways, real authentic peace in our hearts is based on the deepest thing there is, the true presence of Christ. The following day, Monday the 9th, we celebrated the Feast of the Dedication of the Basilica of St. John Lateran, which is a feast perfectly fitting for the continuation of the theme of unity and stability. And it, it forms you know, the peace of Jerusalem. And it may seem odd to celebrate this particular church. John Lateran is a particular church in Rome, but its symbolism is actually very important. You know, even though St. Peter's Basilica is bigger and, and the more well-known and obviously has plenty of important symbolism as the symbol of the church built on the rock of Peter. This other church, the Lateran Basilica, which just to clarify, there is no St. Lateran. The land was given by the Lateran family, I think in the fourth century. This church of St. John Lateran or the Lateran Basilica is a symbol of the whole church 
gathered around the unity and authority of the Vicar of Christ, that is the Holy Father, that is the Pope. And the readings and prayers of this day speak constantly of the unity of the church with the people of God, that's all of us, specifically being the living stones out of which the structure is built. When assembled properly, we are built as an edifice of spirit. An edifice is the strong front of a building, but if the building is to be strong, it must have a strong foundation. And the readings go on to emphasize that cornerstone, that foundation that makes the edifice strong, that makes the, the living stone stand up, is Christ. Monday of St. John Lateran and the unity of the church it symbolizes, followed into, was followed by, Tuesday, and a man who put that unity into practice. At a time when the world was a mess after the fall of Rome, uh, at the, fall of Rome in vi- the Pope at the time, Pope St. Leo the Great, forestalled the worst that was coming from invaders by his skill as a statesman. He, you know, the Roman government effectively didn't exist anymore, and the Pope, as the Bishop of Rome, effectively took over civil responsibility, and he saved Rome from the worst it could have encountered of the invaders that were coming to, to ransack it. But, he also had skills as a theologian, and he gave clear and stable teaching on the human and divine natures of Christ. And both of these, which Pope St. Leo the Great did very well, on top of that he even added the tender heart of a pastor, who desired to see the, who desired to see the unity of his community, knowing that the church is meant to be, to quote him, an integral whole, at peace with its members, not divided within itself. He proclaimed the theological and personal reality that, quote, in the unity of faith and baptism, our community is then undivided. So Pope St. Leo recognized that it is in the unity of our common faith, our common baptism, then we have strength. It is then the church is built up in living stones and becomes this solidity which other things can be hung upon. So we have Sunday's prayer for the peace of Jerusalem, Monday's feast of the dedication of St. John Lateran, Tuesday's memorial of Pope St. Leo the Great, who put that all into practice. And honestly, those three days would have been enough to prove the point. We are in chaos now, but there has always been chaos. I mean, Pope Leo's time was way worse than now. And then the church was not only surviving, but was a symbol of unity when all else fell apart. And as it was then, it can be now, so long as her members are united in a common faith and in Christ, then we will remain strong and a safe edifice, no matter what else is going on. And all of that, those three days of the the various antiphons and readings at Mass, and then Pope St. Leo, all of that would have been enough. But wait, there's more. The very next day we had, on Wednesday, St. Martin of Tours, a former Roman soldier who then had a conversion experience. Uh, He met the Lord. And then in his later religious life, he became a priest and a bishop and founded religious communities. He was as dedicated to that as a soldier might be to his duty. He was obedient to the authority. He'd been obedient to the authority of his superiors before. Then he became obedient to the authority of what Christ called him to do. Uh, and he lived out then 
this great saintly life in that obedience to Christ. Not being self-dependent, but doing what the church asked of him, knowing that, even though it was against what the world expected of him to be doing, knowing that it was for his own goodness and happiness and for the goodness and happiness of others. On that particular day, though, uh, we had readings that, that make a strong point. Um, the early readings spoke of obedience to authority, um, that we ought to be in obedience to Christ, peaceable and considerate, not slaves to our desires and pleasures, but slaves to what is good, and that we ought to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. But the gospel was about the ten lepers who were cleansed, but only one returned. And Christ's severe critique of that of, ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Well, that points out to us something that we need to work on. Uh, as a priest, it's very easy to see how often this kind of thing happens. What do I mean? Well, how often do we have young people especially, or even adults in RCIA, that come, receive sacraments, or maybe here for a bit, maybe, and never come back again? I mean, one could easily say that about uh, First Communion and Confirmation. Ten were confirmed, were they not? Or ten received for communion, were they not? Ten joined the church, were they not? Where are the other nine? Right? Honestly, so many people, for various reasons, I'm not saying it's all malicious, but for various reasons, many, many people receive their sacraments and then are never heard from again, maybe till the next sacrament time comes out. But return. But think back what we said earlier about us being built up as living stones into the church. If nine out of ten living stones are gone, that is not a very stable wall at all, right? That is a wall very rickety and hard to support anything. And I think we can see that in the church when, when we, when the people who ought to be the living stones of the, of the structure of the church, when who ought to be built up to an edifice of strength in Christ are missing, whether that's physically not here or, you know, in their beliefs or spiritually elsewhere, which certainly happens a lot too, then the church as a whole is weakened because we're meant to be built up into, into a strong structure founded on Christ. But if we have many bricks missing, if, if people are not faithful like St. Martin of Tours was, then the church is weak. And that's no good, in case that has to be pointed out. Then, following St. Martin of Tours, continuing the streak of excellence, we had St. Josephat, martyr. And again, he's, he's a, a great a saint of the, of the eastern part of the Catholic Church. Um, but he emphasizes, again, uh, as, of course, all of the saints do, the importance of obedience and that true authority is actually love and is based in Christ. You know, he, as a martyr, he sacrificed himself for the good of the other, which Christ did on the cross. That's literally, literally what Jesus did is sacrificed himself. That's what martyrs do. That's what we are called to do, to give up our own, um, oftentimes our preferences or our own, um, private beliefs that may go against, may go against true teaching, uh, to give up our own discomfort sometimes, uh, often to be unified to Christ knowing it's difficult at first, but that it will also bring us happiness. The next day, Friday, we had St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, who added another element to this, that care, she, she was very focused on care for the poor. That's, that's what she's known as as a saint. And that care for the poor is one more part of what the church ought to be doing. 
because we, I've mostly focused on you know, intellectual, spiritual obedience, and you know, being um, good members of the church. But it's often, it's again often pointed out by saints that we might, it's it's possible to talk a good talk, even come to church, and um, seem to do the right things theologically or practically. But if we don't care for the poor, if we don't remember also that the Lord loves the poor primarily, you know, he loves everybody, but he has a special place in his heart for the poor, then uh, we're missing something. We are, in, in a different kind of way, uh, missing stones in the wall of the church. You know, if, if we have all theological accuracy and attention to, to every sacramental detail, but we don't care for the poor, then it's 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 a whole it's a big hole in the wall. The, the edifice is not strong as it ought to be. And so, uh, we had this whole long series, and there's so much more. I mean, the Friday comes, and the next day is Saturday, and, and Saturdays are given to Mary, and of course, Mary is uh, you know to tie it back to Jerusalem. Mary is the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that carried Christ, which has its home in Jerusalem. Um, so Mary is at home in the church, which is symbolized by Jerusalem, whose peace we pray for through Mary very often. And so we can cite, we can chart a whole week out where we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We have peace in our hearts with Christ. We have the dedication of St. John Lateran, the a physical outward literal structure for the unity of the church. We have Pope St. Leo the Great, the great saint who, who united, uh, united um, statesmanship, the, theological skill, and pastoral skill to unify the church in very difficult times. St. Martin of Tours, who uh, lived the faith in a soldier with a, with a soldierly dedication, but also being pointed out by Christ in the gospel that day that it is a, bi- it is a big problem if 9 out of 10 holes in the wall exist where there should be 10 out of 10 solid bricks. The, martyr, the martyrdom of St. Josephat, laying down our lives for Christ, Remembering the poor with St. Francis Xavier Cabrini and remembering and dedicating ourselves to Mary above all of the saints. This was just, I mean, every week in the church is full of amazing things. Saints all over the place, beautiful feast days. But this particular week stood out to me. Uh, really, I, I began to laugh as we was going along. So I thought of, you know, days one, two, and three, and then would look at the next calendar and go, wow, one more fantastic day. Here we go. And that, in a sense, even proves the point right there, that the church is this thing that is honestly bigger, more beautiful, more stable. I'm going to use the word powerful, but but don't hear that in, in a negative sense, not in like an oppressive power, but in a, in a reliable power, in a um, trustworthy power kind of way. The church is the thing that will not fail. When everything else will, the church will not. Now, as a sidebar, the church is made up of sinful people like us, and so things will go wrong from time to time. Even big things will go wrong from time to time. But the church will not fail. And in the end, the church has the grace of God with her, and that sees it through. We think we have bad times now, and they are in many ways. But the church has seen far, far worse and survived very, very well. So what I want to take away from this most of all is that, yes, there's a lot to work on inside and outside the church. But 
with that work to be done, we have tools and resources beyond belief, way more than you can even possibly imagine. Prayers, devotions, saints, you know, graces, history, teaching, so many things that we can rely on, especially when everything else out there that we don't know about, we don't know what's happening, we turn to the church, and this isn't like a fundamentalist kind of way, it doesn't like Jesus like poof magically fixes everything, it's not like that, no. But in Christ, our hearts are truly at rest, we can have that peace, even when all around us is going wherever it may go. So, I hope that made some sense. I hope and you know, do look for those patterns, those um, continuing opportunities, because the church is just so full of blessing after blessing after blessing. So this was just one week, but there's so many more like it, and I hope to share more of these things. Uh, the The new title is "Vos autem Dixiamicus," which is Latin for "I have called you my friends," which is sort of the mentality I've had anyways this whole time, you know, talking to you guys like I would talk to my friends, hopefully, because um, I don't, I'm not that formal, even though I'd like to say, or I try and say things that are significant. Um, I do them in, a, in an informal way, and I want to include other people too eventually. I don't know. It's always in the making, but Vos autem dixi amicus, I have called you my friends, and I got that from the Vulgate slash Jose Maria Escriba, so I hope that's good Latin. If that's somehow wrong, someone correct me. But I think it's true. So, um, hope this has been enjoyable. Sorry it's been, if you've been like, Father, what are you, like, why haven't you done anything in seven months? Life happens. Turns out priests are busy. Pray for more vocations, please. Um, but it's good to do this again. Hope you enjoyed it. And, you know, if you don't hear more from me soonish, do bother me. Because sometimes I just need that kind of motivation. So, God bless. Hope you're well. Pray well. And, Lord be with you. 